listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves into the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Each week, Roger is joined by Joe, Vince, and Marty. Character motivation is a huge part of any story being told uh, for both the antagonists and the protagonists. Without proper motivation, character development is non-existent, and the stories told tend to suffer for it. The hardest part for us as consumers of any media with favorite characters is that, ironically, we often tend to resist any changes to our beloved character, for better or worse. We hold the stories and those characters precious. And when something happens that we don't agree with or shatters the world we've built for those characters, in, in our minds, we react violently. The mark of a good writer and a good story is explaining those changes by providing the context and the motivation for the choices that the character is making. Without those, many a storyteller over the years has lost an audience or been written off as sophomoric or simply just lacking. No game company, I think, comes close to Blizzard in both succeeding and failing in this regard over the course of the last 20 years. Um, and Battle for Azeroth is incredibly divisive over this specific topic. And as we move closer to the actual release of the expansion, it's only gotten worse. And this is not a faction divide of Horde versus Alliance. This is people not understanding what the characters are doing and why or where the story is going. Now that we've gotten more events and stories uh, lately, uh, we've gotten two short novellas, ones that are going to be released in physical form in the collector's edition, but were released for free on the website, as well as many cinematics, both uh, the old old soldier one, which was just released with Sarfang uh, not too long ago, as well as the new events, the burning of Teldrassil and the sacking of Lordaeron, um, otherwise known as the Undercity. Um, have you guys been keeping up on that or are you just kind of like tangentially following along with what's been going on? I started, um, well, it was first posted in our notes. So I started looking and I, uh, how do I put this? I am a long time player of wow. This is the longest I've ever gone since launch, not playing. Um, and you know, for a variety of reasons, uh, predominantly, like, I just feel like I'm playing too many other games now. And, uh, once I saw the, uh, well, first, Joe, you've been talking about it. So I've been, my interest has been piked because I don't think they're just going back to start a new faction war. That's definitely, they get some part of the player base riled up, but that's mm -hmm. not where they're going. I totally agree with you on that. But um, I was interested in what you were saying and I was you know, trying to figure out my way back. Uh, and for those who don't know, and I, I assume that most people who listen to the show don't, um, I've been playing a character named Briku on Feathermoon since two days after launch. And so I am well-versed in this game. And, you know, for the past year, I haven't been able to do anything with him. But yesterday, in preparation for this, I wrote, like, a quick note, a quick little bit of fic of him coming back from his semi-retirement. So I am so jazzed, and I have to tie it directly into the old soldier video. Like, bringing up uh, the death of Saurfang's son, the his his complete disgust at whatever Sylvanas is doing, 
how he just wants to die. Oh, I just the whole thing was so good. Um, I liked it better than Jania's uh, short. I liked it better than Sylvanas's. I liked it better than the two cinematics I watched today. Uh, it was enough to get me pumped to come back. Like, well, the interesting thing about that too is that wasn't a Warbringer like the Sylvanas one or the Jaina one. That was just an in-game cinematic that was released to commemorate the 10th anniversary of the Wrathgate. It's been 10 years since Wrathgate. Look it up. Holy shit. Talk about, I, I won't bore everybody with like server lore, but uh, the golden age of my people on Feathermoon was the Wrathgate. Like we were all, we were all in our stride back then. And uh, I, I miss those. That particular aspect of the game is the part that I miss the most. Joe, correct me if I'm wrong, but Sourfang was initially brought in only as an NPC that you turned in Anixia's head to, I believe, right? Well, you got to understand, he's been there since the first war. Like, he's he's been there in the games, like the RTS games. So him being brought in to anything as a quest giver or quest turn-in, while that was his initial roles or his initial, I guess, presence uh, in Sir Orgrimmar back in the day in Vanilla like his presence there was was a throwback to anybody who played the RTSs and followed those stories because he did serve under Blackhand. He was a staple throughout all of those wars all the way through. He actually participated in the sacking of Stormwind. So he's important. Yeah, he was, again, in, in Warcraft. That I remember as well, having played those. But for WoW, it was, again, it was a little different, especially at the time early on, because you didn't know how much they'd be pulling from the RTS for the MMO and whatnot. And initially, he had a very limited role. Very limited, yeah. What was funny is that I was talking about this with my son today. I, no, yesterday, sorry. Because we were talking about Zappy Boy. And <laughs> what we were, what I was saying was, because we've been talking about Blizzard's tendency to kill off war chiefs or kings and things like that. And they're getting rid of fan favorite characters or relegating them to such obscurity that you really don't see them much. If you didn't play a shaman, you didn't see much of Thrall in the current expansion. And... And so forth with other like Magni, really, unless you went to Argus, you didn't do much with him until the sword crashed into the planet kind of thing. So it kind of feels like they're going that way with Sylvanas. And I feel that would be a pretty big mistake for them because of how much people care for her. But what I was saying to my son was that I think what Blizzard needs to make sure that they start doing an really fucking dig in and do it is latching onto characters like this that the community has latched onto and then propelling their their story forward across multiple expansions because right now there's a, a backlog that needs to be filled because of these iconic characters that are mm -hmm. either dead or no longer important or kind of thrown aside so that was when I watched the, the Sour Fang video, as spectacular as it was, and as much as I, I loved his performance, Zappy Boy stole it for me because there was authenticity to his character above and beyond 
what we saw with Sour Fang. So ironically, watching that video, whereas with you, Marty, it made you kind of like jazz to get back into the game. What it did for me is... I fill with hope is a little melodramatic, but for lack of a better term, fill me with hope for what's coming forward if they, again, do the same thing as they did with Sourfang and really bring him to prominence with characters like this that are becoming fan favorite, fan favorites. So newly introduced, now make use of them. And we've seen that in the past where they've been perfectly willing to do that, especially with like Yorel. Like Yorel was an early standout in Warlords of Draenor and she became, you know, more important to the story as the story progressed in yeah. ways that she maybe wasn't originally intended to because she was such a fan favorite. Like they're definitely willing to do that. They're willing to latch onto that uh, as long as it serves the greater purpose, which it, in most cases it does. Um, but the divisiveness that's been surrounding the particular story uh, is mainly with the old characters. Uh, and lately, it's been around Sarfang, and it's been around Sylvanas. I'll talk about the Sarfang bit a little, a little since we're already on that track. So, if anybody wasn't aware, the Wrathgate was significant because Sarfang's son, who he originally left behind on Draenor uh, to be safe, to not be corrupted by the demon blood and not become a member of the Horde, wound up becoming a member of the Horde later on after. You know, the third war after everything went down and after the rest of the horde started coming through the Dark World and, and basically being here. And at the Wrathgate, he lost his son. His son died. And as the horror of the Lich King, what that character did is your loved ones didn't get rest when they died. And he had a nasty tendency of raising them either as mindless undead to serve his will or as semi-intelligent uh, undead in the form of Death Knights. And that's what happened to Sarfang's son. And we as players had to put his son down. And whether you were Alliance or Horde at the time, it didn't matter because that story was impactful. Even the Alliance was like, take your son, go. Like, this is terrible. No parent should ever, ever have to bury their child, let alone watch their child become a monster and then have to worry about burying them all over again. And it was a very powerful moment that kind of stuck with that character and sort of helped define that character more deep as far as, like, who he was. Uh, his family was gone. The horde that he used to serve was gone. And everything that he knew about the world was shattered. So he clung to this idea of honor. Right, that that's all he has left. Now you fast forward to <laughs> hold the fuck on. Can, hold on a second. Hold can, on a second. Can we all agree though, first and foremost, that they need to fucking stop saying honor or there's no honor in this. My God, if you play through what's going on now, yeah. that's the stuff. I am so fucking tired of hearing that. And this is from somebody who's like a an old samurai movie kind of buff. And I typically love that they're so overdoing it. It, it, it smacks of, of, I don't want to say immature writing, but it like, it, but it is a little bit. And whoever has put that into the script multiple times, they can stop anytime now. Yeah. But the core idea is definitely part of the character. And as you see in the short, or especially in the, the story that they released, it's he's haunted by everything that's happened and everything that's continued to happen. Um, even when he spoke out at the trial of Garrosh, 
uh, right after Pandaria, right after the siege of Orgrimmar, you can tell that he was he was one of those people that he didn't he doesn't want to go to war anymore. He will. He doesn't really want to. Um, he just wants to die and be peaceful in that and know that he did something okay. Um, but yet he's just not allowed to die. Now the reason that people are being real weird about it in him is because of that concept of honor, right? A couple things happen. And if you haven't played through the scenarios or you haven't watched the videos, spoilers. So you've been warned. Uh, but one of the culminations is, we've talked about this before, Sylvanas wants to kill Malfurion. She wants to take the, the world tree. She wants to take Teldrassil, use it as a bargaining chip and use it as a thing to drive the Alliance into inaction. Um, partially makes sense. Not the killing Malfurion part, but some of it does. She sends Sarfang in to go and sort of come from behind and Sarfang gets a lucky throw while Malfurion is sort of distracted. He hits him in the back, hits him with his axe, doesn't kill him. Uh, can't finish him. Like he's left to finish him and he can't because it's dishonorable. It wasn't a fair fight. It, he doesn't deserve to take the life of the greatest druid on Azeroth. Not only that, but I mean, going back to lore bits, this is the person that gave his ancestor uh, the the axe of Cenarius, who, you know, fought in the War of the Ancients. You know, the, this is the lineage that Sarfane comes from. And so Tehran comes, saves Malfurion. He doesn't even attempt to fight them anymore. He just says, go, there's no honor in this. Just, just leave, live again. But then you see all of these horrible things that he's doing at the behest of Sylvanas. And it's like, why is he agreeing with these things that he very clearly sees as dishonorable? And in the story, you start to see it's because he's just trying to hold together the only things he has left. And he's just, for lack of a better term, almost like biding his time. Uh it's an interesting thing to see people sit there and talk about how he has actually no idea of honor versus he's still trying to make the horde this honorable thing that it once was, but people are really split on that. So, I mean, you guys, what do you, what do you think of him so far as far as the characters go? So I, this is all going to be spoilery for me, which is fine. Like I, I'm going to play it and experience it and I'm, it's good. What I want to see is what it's what it's represented like in the game because I've read a plenty uh, where people are literally comparing uh, Sarofang to General John Kelly, who, if you don't know, is jo is uh, Donald Trump's chief of staff. Wow, uh, right? A so-called honorable man who is doing dishonorable things for love of country. That's how they have described John Kelly. Now I've got a completely different take, which I will spare everyone, but. That is a comparison that I have seen. Well, no, uh, motherfucker. Why do, you, why do you think we brought you on this show? It's to hear your opinions. Well, John Kelly's a son of a bitch. Oh, not about he's that. He's a I meant about Sarafang. That's what Mark was talking about. <laughs> oh, as for Sarafang, Sarafang, I think, Jesus has Christ. way more honor that way. Um, because, like, I think what he's, I do think he's trying to bide his time and keep together the horde because he's seen he's seen the corruption of a previous of multiple war chiefs in the past, but he saw a very honorable horde not too long ago. Um, and I think he's the kind of character. Uh, 
I think he's also just driven. He's the the short. He's clearly not just driven mad by grief, but at the state of the horde, he feels completely powerless, and he just wants to die. And I totally, I, I can't say I totally understand that, but I totally get that. I think, um, I don't think he's he. You know what? Honorable people do dishonorable shit when war happens, and the fact that he spared somebody's life, even if he's a named character, showcases that he is still above you know, regular morality in that regard. He's got a better sense of morality, I mean. Well, um, and that's another so. interesting thing, too, because during what was just released today was the battle for Lordaeron. And during the that entire sequence, Sarfang gets left behind. Like, he stays to buy time for the Horde to escape when the wall is breached by Pirate Queen Jaina showing up in a fine fucking pirate ship. Um... And the end result of this is that he gets captured by the Alliance. He doesn't fight. Like, yes, he does. No, not at the end. He takes a knee. No, dude, I did it on the Alliance side. I fought him. And what happened? He took a knee and he didn't fight when Anduin went up to him. No, no, he didn't fight because he was nearly beaten. So what happens is that he attacks and then you fight. There's a little conversation beforehand. You fight and then... Once he gets to a certain level, he takes a knee to get killed. He asks them to kill him. When, yeah. when Anduin says, no, stop, he says, no, give me the honorable death I deserve or something along those lines, and that's when they take him away. But no, he doesn't take a knee for any kind of thing other than to, like, you do fight him. He tries to take you all down, and presumably he would have killed many in that group as See, well. And, and that's where, like, I think from the Horde side, I get a slightly different perspective on it is because, yeah, he was fighting, but he was fighting to buy time. And once he knew everybody was safe, he, he stopped. And yeah, he, wa- he wants to die. But at the same point, he didn't kill himself so far. He didn't fight. Like, an, a surefire way to get yourself killed is when the, the leader of the Alliance is directly in front of you. Touch him. Put your hand on him. You die. He doesn't. So there's more going there's more going on in his character's head than I just want to die at that point. And I find that interesting. See, I'm going to have the unpopular opinion in this conversation because I feel that Sour Fang is not nearly as powerful a character as he is now being presented as but that's because of the fact that they're putting him in these not necessarily heroic moments but to use their terms honorable moments so I feel that if you look at a lot of the things that he has done and again I keep saying I feel because I want to make this clear this is my opinion the writing for him has not always been consistent in terms of his motivations, his actions, the things that he tries to represent is not always consistent. And sure, there's some reality to that because that's how people are. But to me, it's always felt like either he is ignored or not written properly because it's second tier, third tier character kind of thing, or let's try to use those writing tropes that elicit a strong emotional reaction like 
honor, like trying to save others by sacrificing yourself, things like that, and dump it on this character. It, for me, never feels like that's his character, but always feels like a writer is saying, okay, we need a character that's going to be able to do this, bring in Sour Fang. And so it never feels genuine. And I did the questing on both sides. And I got to tell you, that moment where he is, quote unquote, holding them off, didn't come off as how it came off for you at all. Not even remotely. And did you read the novellas? I'm just curious. That I haven't done yet. And can, can we fucking agree that, yes, we have encouraged devs to put novels out and different things that give different aspects of stories certainly or different not necessarily not quest lines but different lore elements that are not required reading that's not in the fucking game because i think that needs to be addressed like this has gone so fucking far with them and it is annoying as all hell yeah i was actually going to bring that up because that's one of the things that i've been saying that i've been People have been arguing with me because I'm of that mindset that I don't think that you should have to read the novels and the novellas and the comic books and watch the videos to understand what's going on. And there's a very big gap between the knowledge that you get from playing through the encounters and interacting with the game than there is from what you get if you do that and read the stories. And that becomes problematic because here in the stories in the novella, you get more information on why Sarfang's doing some of the shitty things that he's doing. And it's because he is absolutely convinced that he's doing what needs to happen for the Horde to survive. And the Horde needs to survive or the orcs, the Torn, and the trolls will just all get killed by the Alliance at some point. They won't be left alone. And he's convinced that he could give two shits about the blood elves on the other continent in the north of the continent. Uh, He can give two shits about the Forsaken because whatever, fuck them, they're despicable to him. But the Torn have been nothing but honorable as of the trolls. They were, they're the longest allies of the orcs. And he wants to preserve that life and those lives as much as possible. You don't get that in the game. And that's a problem. That's why it's becoming so divisive. And it's the same thing with transitioning to Sylvanas with her as well. Hold on one moment, though. See, the th- I didn't get a chance to talk about when you guys were talking about the, the actual quest line and stuff like that. The problem is, is that I haven't, uh, okay, I haven't read the novellas, but I, I they're on my iPad. I will be reading them. And I'm going by what you're saying in terms of them being well-written and you can get a lot more out of it. The problem is, is that you're, it's, I don't feel, once again, I don't feel that you're even getting a reflection of that in the quest line. It's as no, if the, the novellas and the novel, exceptional writing, characters are true to form, shit makes sense. Well, they were written game, by Christy Golden, so of course. Yeah, game makes no fucking sense, uses horrible tropes, or is just plain stupid or nonsensical. Because that encounter where he hurls his axe into Malfurion is unbelievably stupid on for, for either faction. I Tristan and I have talked about this at length. I did it on both. He only did it at Hortzai. But 
It's stupid. It is it makes no fucking sense because it's literally one minute he's shooting an axe in, the next minute oh, it was dishonorable. You just fucking did it. And and like you brutalized an entire continent worth of, of innocent people. Don't like I get the whole bit about the druid and things like that, but it's presented in such a way that it's sophomoric writing. It's fucking horrible writing. And then when you're on the allied side, Windrunner just fucking snaps you with an arrow and then you can't move anyway. And it's equally stupid because you've now you've got no control either and you're watching the stupidity. And and to make it worse, they use once again one of their favorite tropes is the I don't have time to deal with this. You deal with it. Fuck you. Sylvanas would put an arrow through his eye in a heartbeat. She was losing the fight when Sarfang threw the axe into him. So the this thing of, oh, I don't have time for this. I'm leaving. If you're going to do that in a raid because you're setting up your raid bosses, your, your sub-tier bosses, fine. It's a horrible trope, but you know what? Fine. But in this kind of quest line where you're supposed to care that deeply about these characters and everything, it just was just batshit stupid, mm-hmm. stupid, stupid. So it's not that's that we could... That's not, it, not it, divisive. Like, people agree with you. A lot yeah. of people agree with you. So if if the questing was good, even though we didn't have everything, but at least the characters felt like they were acting true to their character types and it wasn't full of stupid fucking tropes, then I'd say, fine. Then read that other shit to get more out of it, but you don't have to. But that's not what's happening. We're getting something completely different. And it's it's like watching a subtitled movie where they only give you every fourth or fifth line and they change it and run it through Google Translate. You're not getting the same thing. So I have a question. You guys have both played it. Uh, my number one complaint with the storytelling, one of my number one complaints with the storytelling in WoW is that occasionally your character is hit with the idiot ball. For example, uh, it was in Cataclysm where you got to, on the, I think it's on both sides, but you free the the satyr and mm-hmm. you know he's going to betray you. And that's the, the clearest example I can come up with. Oh yeah, but you do uh, it anyway. But you do it anyway because you got to finish that quest and finish that particular part of the, 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 the zone. Is that example of gameplay and story going on in these pre-patch events. Definitely. Yeah. Of it course. absolutely is. God damn I mean, it. I'm, I'm a fuck- 10 years. I'm a druid on my oh. I did it on both my Toran druid and my panda uh, horde panda uh, a shaman and both of them would abhor what's going on but you got no say, no nothing. It's just do it and follow it. And yeah, the mentality, the writing and the quest is such that it's just Again, it's it's nonsensical. It doesn't work in terms of. And here's here's where I think that in the questing in particular suffers from the MMO portion of the MMORPG more than other things. In that they're trying to do what we talked about last time is drum up as much faction hate as they can in the game to satisfy those players that don't give a damn about the deeper story. They just want to go and and feel like they're the ones being listened to again and get into it. And that's what the quest scene smacks of to me because there's so many pieces pulled out of it, right? Like these aren't deep lore immersive encounters anymore. 
uh, minus the cinematics. You can you can keep the cinematics that that have come in as part of that because they do reveal a lot of information and a lot of cool little tidbits. But everything as far as the questing and in-game stuff, the stuff that you know players actually play through, you know, because those cinematics can be skipped. Uh, it it all it just seems to me that it's more focusing on, yeah, we're going to do these stupid tropes. We're going to do these things that, you know, a lot of players may not give two shits about because we're just showing them, Hey, this is going to be the battle for Azeroth. It's going to be all about war. And here's why you're going to be able to do it. Like I was doing the scenario today, like right before we were recording, cause I just got home and wanted to go through it just to play through it myself because it, it was different than it was in the beta. And the player base, the players in that scenario, 15 out of the 20, like it was literally fuck Alliance, fuck the fuck Teldrassel. Like they were really into that portion of it. And that's exactly who I feel that they're pandering to, to bring those players back because they lost them during Legion. I will say one thing, and this is because I did the Alliance side and you didn't. I don't know if you watched any videos of the Alliance portions, Joe. I have. I watched every, uh, both sides of everything. Okay, good. So then you'll know what I'm talking about. There was actually a segment that stopped one quest that stopped, made me think and made me feel a little something in a more profound way than a quest in WoW has done in quite a while. And that is when you finish the... Um, the quest line up to last week yeah last week of the week for last week yeah last week because it was the burning tree uh when you get to the end on the horde side uh you're pretty much done and you take a screenshot in front of a burning tree and that's pretty much it when you're aligned side uh Tarande sends you tells you to take her hippogriff and go to darnassus and try to save as many people as you can so you show up there and the tree is on fire and, mm-hmm. and I wasn't expecting that. Like you're in the tree, you're seeing people. Oh, it's a huge gut punch moment. Oh yeah. There's, there's people on fire. There's something that I I've played a lot Dead of children models, man. Oh yeah. I I've played a lot of night elves over the years. I'm not some, I don't want to demean people who cosplay it, but I'm not one of these people who wear long years and go out and cosplay it. I'm not that much into it. But I like uh, certain things about the race. I like different elements of the background of the race That's that, that isn't just good. There's I feel there's a lot of dark there too kind of thing, and that's what intrigues me. Anyways, that all being said, I've spent a lot of time over the what are we at 14 years now joe how many years are we at 15 15 yeah like i've spent a lot of time on that tree and i like joe started in beta so and and more so than joe i've played both factions but i've played a hell of a lot more alliance than i would wager you have over the years and so i i really i don't I, know about that okay be close well i again i like it so when i got there and everything's on fire it is like you said that gut punch, and you're like, "Holy shit!" So you go in, and uh, Mia uh, Greymane is there, uh, Jen's wife, and she's telling you she gives you a quest: go save as many people as you can. And of course, she's there because the war can share that space with the night elves. So save as many people as you can. So I'm like, "All right, you got a bucket of water." 
of course. So I interesting tidbit about that, by the way, that might actually add some weight for it for you. She left the safety of Stormwind to go to Darnassus during the encounter to coordinate the evacuation of the people. She wasn't in Darnassus at the time. She chose to go there. Makes perfect sense. Another character yep. that they need to do so much more with her. Agreed. Anyway, so I was running this. You get the quest inside of the priest area. So I was running around inside the building looking for people and kind of wasted a little bit too much time there. And there was clearly nobody in there, but I put out some fires. And so I run outside and I'm looking and it wasn't until like I, I kind of talked to one person and said, go, go. And and then I put out some fires to see how you can get multiple people to run out. But it wasn't until a couple of, of buildings till I actually looked at the quest log on the side to see how many I had to save. And it was like 980 or some fucking thing. And I'm going, what? Like, that makes <laughs> no... F I'm not going to be doing this for three hours. And then I thought, okay, well, they're probably all in one spot. And then by putting out the fire, you get like, you know, 100 people run out or whatever. So I'm running around looking for large groups of people and running to buildings that I know host a lot of people. And I got a number of them out. And then all of a sudden, boom, it cuts out. And I'm like, what? Well, I suffocated from the flames. And that's when it dawns on you. You're not meant to solve this. You're not meant to be able to finish it. It's meant to end in such a way that you fail and hundreds and hundreds of people die. And so the moment you take that in and you, you, you actually think about it, because again, as badly written as a lot of different things are in Quest, when you come across things like this, take that moment, think about it. What were they trying to do here? What's going on? Oh, and you see an underlying theme that gives you a far deeper appreciation then of when they do knock it out of the park. And for me, that was that moment. It was just so profoundly impactful, again, because of how much time I spent in that place for 15 fucking years, that when you see the futility of trying to save it, that's pretty impactful. So I, I adored that. Now, and that, that tracks with what they did in the novella Elegy. Um, which was really well done, of course, Christy Golden. Uh, but the Alliance, I think, have gotten the better setup going into battle for Azeroth, even though they're on the defensive and they're getting hit the hardest by it. Their story is the more impactful, and the questing, like you just pointed out, it, it leads to that point. Even with the taking of Lordaeron back, the, the stuff that happens today, yeah. the Alliance has the better size of it. Yeah, but... At the very start of the event, I would argue that the first week, the Horde had a much better uh, go of it. Second week, Alliance. Third week, now. I don't know Alliance. that I would say Alliance was better. I did them both, and I thought they well, were both, both had pros and cons. Before we move on, and before I forget, sure. though, I will say one more thing before we move on from the Burning Tree. It also created one of... Yeah, one of my favorite scenes in 15 years of playing this game. The burning dog is in there as a worgen. There's a worgen in a room in the um, crafters area in the second floor. When you this go is up, fine. yes, yeah. there's a worgen sitting with a cup <laughs> of tea. And if you set up your say bubble so that you see the bubble 
every few seconds you see this is fine and there's fire all around i've got dozens of screenshots <laughs> it is fucking priceless I yeah he's even got it. the hat yes oh god i love it so much so before we move on a couple of questions one can you continue like can you do all the aspects of this quest line or is it just like a weekly sort of get-go up until battle for azeroth you do the entire thing you can skip it yeah. or you can do the whole thing and other oh crap i lost my train of thought when you guys play uh roger you play with tristan a lot joe do you have like a crew that you typically play with i am i have a a large guild of yahoos yes but i just the questing stuff I typically do alone and we kind of like talk about it after. Cool. Just checking. Cause we, I have a questing and leveling buddy and we've been running this game for, I don't know, 15 years. Like she stood up by my, my, at my wedding because that's, you know, that's what this game has done. This type of community. And just want to see how you, how the other half lives. I mean, that's, one of the ways that I met Tart. <laughs> so, I mean, like, it, I, totally there. It's um, how I met Tart. It's true. So I met you. Before we move on from the cinematics, too, because we were talking about Saurfang, another meme, too, that has been really fucking cool, in my opinion, is the transmogging off the shoulders that people have been doing Horde side to show mm -hmm. more support for Saurfang than for Windrunner. That kind of community engagement is the stuff that I do adore. And that's oh, one amen. That's one of the things that I think is really, really interesting is because there's a very clear divide on the horde side of, you know, yes, queen and you know, going the full Sylvanas, like burn everything down route. And the rest of us, which are like, Yeah, I'm not cool with that. I'm gonna be over here, like chilling mellow style. And uh yeah, screw you, lady. Um yeah, it's it's been interesting. It has definitely been interesting. Now I want to go back to Sylvanas or at least move on to her for a little bit, because I think that's one of the more important things that has been going on, because I, I've said this before and I've gotten a lot of flack for this. A lot of the stuff that she's doing right now in game, uh, the questing, the choices that she's making are incongruous with her character. As far as I'm concerned, a character that's been written as an extreme military genius for the last several thousand years. Uh, she's not a dumb, emotionally driven person, yet she's making dumb, emotionally driven choices, which is very, very interesting. Um, little tidbits that I've seen as well is lately in the cinematics that have been released in the stories is, and even in the questing, more and more and more than she has ever in the past, she is relying on the Banshee powers that were given to her when she was raised by the Lich King. And we're seeing her do this. She's never done this before. Like, really, Legion, she maybe fired a couple black arrows. But everything else, like, she didn't do the dissipation stuff. She didn't do the Banshee Whale. She didn't do the raising of the dead. Like, this is all new stuff. And we're starting to see deeper, weirder things from her that we haven't in years. But the choices she's making don't seem consistent with a military genius doesn't seem consistent with somebody who has very clear defined goals. And this is a character who has been written as somebody who's expunging emotion from their life. Well, unlife because they can't afford to have that attachment. They don't feel they can yet between the, before the storm book, the novellas, 
and everything else, we're starting to get an idea that maybe that's not actually the case. Now, again, this is outside of the question. This is in the novellas. Uh, this is in the, the stories and everything else. I made a comment that I don't understand her motivation for the choices she's making. I actually have some now, and I'm still not sure how I feel about it. In the novellas, what she's trying to do, at least the original intent, is to drive a wedge uh, in the alliance to sort of keep them at bay and keep them deadlocked so that, A, they don't do anything to Kalimdor, because her fear is now that Azerite and the largest deposit of it is coming up there, that what's going to stop the alliance once they rebuild their navy from sailing across the world to Kalimdor to wipe out the horde who just so happened to be in their way. Which, logistically, okay, I can kind of understand where that would be a concern. Really? Because that makes no sense to me. Oh, it makes 100% sense to me. For a paranoid paranoid leader of a populace that has no way of replenishing itself, yeah, I can see that being a thing. It's also just like the rapacious nature of any empire. Like, Mm -hmm. I think it makes total sense, especially uh, when you got, I just you know, Garethos from world, uh, from what the frozen throne being a total asshole to the blood elf survivors. Like this is who parts of the Alliance are driven by and they don't care who, who gets in their way. And they see a filthy green skin or a debtor or a troll or a slab of beef. And they're just going to take what they want. I mean, that's well, the underwhelming, but but that's an undertone within all of the Alliance stories. The other thing to keep in mind though, too, is that, the the last interaction between the Horde and the Alliance in Legion is the Alliance's perceived notion that Sylvanas purposely let Varian Rin die and that she pulled the Horde forces back intentionally to just let him die, that they abandoned this unified front. And, like, Anduin has said this to her face, that, you know, this is what the Alliance believes, this is what Gen Greymane believes who is the right-hand advisor for Anduin, she knows this is what they believe. So if that's what they believe, even though that's not what happened, wouldn't you think that they'd want retribution for that, for the unified, the, the person that unified the alliance, that ended the, the re-upping of the War of the Three Hammers, the person that held everything together for so long through one of the most tumultuous times for the alliance, I could totally see her mental justification of, I need to do something to keep them the hell away from us. But that doesn't make sense because that's like, I did a bad thing or they perceive I did a bad thing. So I'll do an even worse thing to keep them off of me. That that well, makes no sense. But before you answer that, okay. let's, let's back up a second there. You said, I'm the leader of a, of a group that has no way of replenishing themselves. What do you mean? So the way that Forsaken are created now is they have to have Valkyr. And I'll, I'll get into this later because I have some speculation that I want to end with at the end of the show. Um, but Valkyr raise Forsaken. When you create a Forsaken character, you're raised from the grave from a Valkyr. That's the only way they get made. Now, if you notice, even in the cinematic, when she's raising the dead that get killed by the plague she unleashes, they're not Forsaken. They're skeletons. It's necromantic magic she's using. They're not intelligent. They're just being raised up as bodies. She doesn't have the ability to create more Forsaken without more Valkyr. And when the Valkyr do this, they die. So they expend their own energy, their own life force, their own connection to the Shadowlands to bring Forsaken into this world. Now, if you go back to a short that was released not too long ago, Black Mirror, 
which is or Dark Mirror, Dark Mirror, something like that. Uh, the Nathanos short or short story that they released during Legion. Nathanos has a new body in Legion. And they tell the story of how that happens. And a Valkyr literally sacrifices her life force to turn him into a non-decaying forsaken. And this is the same thing they did for Sylvanas at the end of, of Lich King expansion. When she throws herself off the top of the frozen throne, it takes three Valkyr to sacrifice themselves to bring her back from whatever void she's going to. And it literally is an exchange of their force to bring something back. So with alt Valkyr, she can't do this. Now, during Legion, she was given the soul cage by Helia, which was the ability to control any living creature, essentially, that she wanted to. Well, she immediately went to go try to enslave the queen of the Valkyr, the light Valkyr, not the dark Valkyr that, that the Lich King made, to get them to basically produce more forsaken it was a means of survival again Greymane shattered the shit out of that soul cage it doesn't exist anymore and we killed Helia she doesn't have any other link or any other power besides what she currently has at her disposal for Valkyr to bring forsaken into this world so when a forsaken is uncreated they're gone there's no bringing them back and she can't replenish that number so in her mind, and this is one of her character motivations, this extreme paranoia that has been seeping in is that she's real close to, to Alliance. She's one of the few or bastions on that eastern, that eastern continent. And she's a prime target for a lot of that stuff. And if the Alliance were to come in in force with the Horde Navy completely decimated by the Legion, there's no way they can get reinforcements, enough reinforcements there in time to really save them or bail them out. And so that's her motivation is if I want to keep my people, you know, intact, I won't even say alive, just in one piece. This is what she's perceiving as what she needs to do in an escalating rabbit hole of paranoia and darkness. And it's, that part is interesting to me. So wait, but Forsaken were originally created because of the plague. So what what's changed? Is A plague that was... A plague that was created by the Lich King, who is also the one that created the vault, the Dark Valkyr in the first place, and we've seen throughout the Lich King expansion, was able to create them at will with Frostmourne. Uh, so he obviously knew how to create the Valkyr, and this was sort of a culmination of that, right? Yeah. Okay. So it's a it, that's the interesting thing to me. She's not the Lich King. She doesn't have Frostmourne. Frostmourne shattered. Um, we've taken pieces of it and forged it into new weapons. Um, the Lich King definitely isn't her best friend, uh, even though, especially because it's Bolvar wearing that helmet now, you know, former Alliance. Uh, yeah, there, she's got lots of reasons not to. She's got lots of justifiable reasons in her brain of why she should be striking first. Now, do you have anything more questions about that before I move on to the like sort of the, the reasoning that they show for that? No, I'm good. Thanks. OK, no, man. go, 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 go. So the idea is that. The Alliance thinks that the Alliance makes a mistake in so much that they they send all of these spies to Orgrimmar. If you're playing Horde side, you run across SI7 people all of the fucking time. And it's great um, because Anduin, who's still very new at being a king, says, I want them watched and I want them to know they're being watched, which is his fucking idiot move. Especially when you have Sarfang, Nathanos and Sylvanas in Orgrimmar who are in charge of that horde, you think they don't know how to play that? That's exactly what they do. 
And Sylvana says, how would you defeat Stormwind to Sarfang in this? And Sarfang goes, you don't. You try, you lose. And she starts saying, no, think about it. What, how would you get there? What steps would you take? And so the idea is we draw them into believing that we're going to attack or fortify the Azerite deposits in Silithus. The, they were the first ones there. The goblins were the first ones responding to it. They, the Alliance knows this. It's one of the first things you do at the end of Legion as far as before the Battle for Azeroth stuff kicks in. And you start showing them that you're going to make a move there, that you're going to move a large force there. Why? Because it forces the only other force that can respond to you, which are the Night Elves, because the Draenei are completely tapped after Argus. They used all of their resources to bring us there. They're still recovering. The Navy has been completely shattered. We saw that at the beginning of Legion as well as throughout Legion. So the Alliance can't really bring a whole bunch of ships to bear with troops down to there because they don't have the ships to spare. And Kalimdor is where most of the Horde forces are. So you make them think you're marching your entire army there. What does the Alliance do? Leaves Darnassus mostly undefended because they start thinking they're clever and go, yeah, we're going to move a whole bunch of, uh, of forces real secret-like down to, you know, Feralis, and then, you know, we'll move down to Silithus and get there before they do and set up shop. That's what they wanted them to do, because then it leaves Darnassus completely unguarded. Sylvanas had no intention on killing Darnassus, and it's presented as, we take Darnassus. We take Darnassus and we hold it as a bargaining chip. We get as many people out of the Undercity as we can, get them into Orgrimmar. Orgrimmar is defensible as much as we can make it. We take Darnassus, we don't kill the civilians, we let them live, but we don't let any alliance come or go. We take out their leadership if we can, and we basically say, "Hey, if you try to come after us, I'll just execute your I'll just execute your city, and that'll just be the end of it." And tactically, that makes sense. Like it's it's a hostage situation. It's shitty. It's weird, um, but it makes sense. Like that that's something I would expect somebody like Sylvanas or even Sarfang to say. Okay, well, I don't you know, and Sarfang to go along with, because it's like, I'm not going to kill innocents. I'm literally just going to keep, you know, this is a bargaining chip too, so my people can live, my people can survive. But see, I keep going to the same thing where, to me, it doesn't make sense that the character's thought oh, process was, he thinks I did a bad thing and got his dad killed, but I didn't. So I'm going to take nearly oh, all yes. of our forces, our military might to hold a tree that I've no intention of keeping forever. And I'm not going to be able to defend all of my other, all of the other cities, outposts, everything because of that. To me, that makes no sense at all. Well, there's, there's more to it too. So the idea also, and this is where the killing Malfurion bit comes from is that she wants to drive a wedge between the Alliance members by doing a couple things. Killing Malfurion makes Tyrande completely incensed. It preys on that emotion. She saw or had reports from her champion, you know, uh, the player character, of how Tyrande fell apart during Legion when Malfurion was being taken by the Nightmare. Okay, if you kill Malfurion, which, good luck, you make Tyrande really want your blood. You take Darnassus, Tyrande really is going to want to take Darnassus back. Now, in Sylvanas' mind, there's one other key point there. 
Gilneas was taken from the Alliance. It was taken from the Worgen how long ago by the Forsaken? The Alliance hasn't had time to take it back. Tyrande would demand immediate action. The idea is that Tyrande and Gen would stay at each other's throats, vying for, you know, the favor of the King of the Alliance to get their shit back first. And by doing so with such an inexperienced king and his two most trusted advisors at odds with each other completely, and another advisor who has too much other rebuilding to do to really concern himself with much of anything else, that keeps the alliance completely negated in her mind and completely out of their hair. That makes no sense to me. That I, that that Tyrande and Jen would not be working together to save the people of that's because the they're all living there. To me, that it makes no sense to assume that there'd be some kind of arguing between the two of them. They'd want the same thing: save that city. Now, this is the beauty of it because then you go back to the Warbringer short and you go with the stuff that Dell says because Dell says it in the the novella too. A good war. Um, it's that. You have made life your enemy and you will lose because you do not understand life. And that is sort of the point. Sylvanas has been so far removed and so far trying to destroy what shred of humanity she's had that she doesn't understand it anymore. It's the same thing. Like you go back to. Oh, uh, okay. Well, hold on a second now. That's excusing bad writing. If that's what you're going to use as an ex as a rationale for her behavior, that it's so far removed from what a normal pe person would would think, then you're excusing any sort of bad writing. Hold on a second. I'm not excusing bad writing, and I don't want to make that perfectly clear. I'm telling what I view as the beats that they're trying to pull on. I'm not saying they're doing it successfully, right. and I'm not saying they're doing it well. Cool. Yeah, Savvy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay, but during during war crimes, at one point in time, she's trying to convince her sister, uh, Veresa, uh, to join her in the Undercity. She misses her sister. And Veresa, who has two twins, the wife of Ronan, Ronan's now dead, thankfully. Um, she's she's hurting, she's in pain, she doesn't, she's confused. And Sylvanas is trying to prey on that to bring her because Sylvanas misses that that familiar love. And at one point, she even offers if you want to join me in the Undercity, you can become just like me. I can bring you back, and you and I can live forever, sisters together. And her sister shuns her, doesn't say anything, runs away from her, and it's sort of like you see the shattering of the last vestiges. of, like, she tries to reach out with this emotion, and what in her mind is completely a loving thing, and is rejected by the one person who has made any attempts to... to essentially see her as anything more than a bag of rotting flesh and it sort of starts this like descent into paranoia and madness that's what i think they're trying to pull on and again don't think they're doing a great job of it but i actually understand some of that motivation now i still think it could be done infinitely better and i still think there's more at play here but we'll see and we'll get to that but that said, I really do like the novellas. I do like the shorts and I do like the videos. And I think if you, even if you don't want to play the pre battle for Azeroth event, which honestly you could skip it unless you really want the mount. It's you're really not missing much. Read the stories and watch the videos instead. Actually, I would say one last thing that I'm, I'm pretty much done after that. Um, I would actually encourage people to play it. If for no other reason than after 15 years, Blizzard knows how to create incredible settings 
for you to be in. When you are, just from a graphic perspective, from the visual aspect, the eye candy that you get, from the burning tree to the visuals of the ancients being on fire to this last one this week, when you are on both sides, although I would argue that not argue, but say that on the, the Alliance side, it was even more impactful. I would you agree. are going through and seeing, um, what's that, what's that, that, uh, zone called? Darnassus? No, no, no. The one where Lord Ron. Dark Shore? Dark, no. Oh, no, no, no. Fuck. You're talking about, we're the, you're talking about Tristwell Glades. That's it. Right. So when you are there and you're seeing scorched earth everywhere, trees burnt, uh, all the fire in the sky and everything, and the the embers floating around you, from from just the visual. Oh, you're talking pers- about dark short. No, no, I'm talking. Well, there too, but no, I'm talking about uh, Tristwell Glades, the the one that just happened. Um, I because I did it today. The visual of it is so striking and puts you right inside of it. It was brilliantly done on that side. And I will agree with that. And I, I do think that the, especially the last two weeks, the Alliance had a better, better experience with. It. Now, one thing that I do enjoy about everything that's happening is one of the things I love to do is I love to tinfoil hat and predict where things are going to go because it's a pastime of mine. I love the story. I've been committed to it for 20 years now between Warcraft, uh, the RTSs and the MMO. There are interesting things that I think they could pull on and I kind of hope they do. One of the major ones is the Lich King. And the reason I bring this up is because the Death Knight campaign in Legion was probably one of the best ones. It might have actually been the best one. And I say this as a a hardcore shaman. And the reason that it was so cool is we were doing certain things like raising White Mane from the dead as one of the four horsemen. Working with the Lich King again, who is, you know, Simon Volvar, who's been out of this picture for so long... You don't know who he is, what he is, or what he's doing anymore. But the interesting thing to me is, as you progress in that story, you start to question how much control is the Lich King starting to exert again. He's starting to spend a lot more time with very powerful undead, essentially, that previously had resisted his urge and broke free from his call. And we know that the echoes of the past Lich Kings aren't gone because they weren't gone for Arthas, and I seriously, seriously doubt that they're gone for for Bolvar. What if he's learning how to control those again, and maybe he's not Bolvar anymore? Maybe he's influencing their thoughts and, you know, pushing them in certain directions like you would do if you were trying to accomplish an end goal. And, And this goes back also to the comic that they released with Sylvanas and her two sisters, is when Alaria shows up, Alaria is a void elf at this point. She is uh, an agent of the void, the ultimate enemy of the Titans and, and whatever you want to say to her. But when that void sees Sylvanas and, and that entity starts exclaiming that she's anathema, like she is, she is unthing. She is something that should not exist because she's not part of the natural cycle. Lich King doesn't have any love for the void. Lich King doesn't have any any love for anything that's left on the living side. What if this is all part of his plan to destroy all of that? And he's subtly influencing and exasperating that paranoia to a point where she's making really stupid emotional decisions and not realizing it. 
I kind of hope they pull in a thread like that. And I kind of hope something comes back to it because I would love to see something more sinister at work. I would love to see a larger threat and I would love to see it end with the redemption of Sylvanas. And I mean, not that she becomes a good person, not that she's redeemed from all of her crimes, but before the storm set up a very interesting scenario where a person died at this case at the hands of Sylvanas in that book, who, again, this is spoilers here, but she's brought back not as undead, not as forsaken, and not as fully resurrected. What if they found a way to do that with Sylvanas to the point where they infuse her with light, bring her back into the cycle, and force her to deal with all of the weight of the guilt of all the stupid, horrible fucking shit she's done over the last decade? I like, I, I want her, to, I want her to get a comeuppance, but I don't want this to devolve into oh, we just happened to kill her again because that was dumb. And it felt bad with Garrosh. It felt bad when we did it in Warlords of Draenor. And it will feel bad if they do something like that so simplistic with her as well that I want there to be more going on. And I hope but, there is. But are you suggesting that the Lich King would be controlling her? Not controlling her, influencing her. In the same way well, that... tomato, tomato. Well, the reason I say that, too, is because one of the other things that always fascinated me about the Lich King is Ice Crown Citadel is made out of old god blood. Like, that's what Serenite yeah. is. Okay, and sorry, I'm not talking about it from a lore. Well, I am kind of, but essentially it sounds like, and I know you well enough to know that that's not what you mean, but you're taking the agency away from one of the very few strong, powerful female characters in the game and saying, oh, a man made her do all these bad things I, instead of yeah, allowing her the depth right. of making bad choices as well. But I think you're, that's not the point I was trying to make. So let me, let me see but if that's I can why clarify I'm saying, Yeah, that's why I'm saying that's what it sounded like to me. So the, the idea behind the old gods is they don't actually force anybody to do anything, right? They influence your decisions by finding things you would already do or have a natural inclination towards and sort of nudging you that way. And it's not a control thing. It's not like you're telling your followers what to do. And we know this from listening to Chogal and reading about him and his interactions, uh, as well as, you know, some of the other uh, void fallen people throughout the years. I wouldn't be surprised if the Lich King sitting on a giant fucking casting needle made out of old God blood right next to the prison of an old God that is definitely freed from that prison uh, and whose extent is that entire continent uh, gets to learn a thing or two about subtly pushing things away because the Lich King can't control the undead anymore, that, that very willful, powerful undead. But what if he can nudge them? What if he can find a way to take that natural paranoia that Sylvanas has and stoke it just a little bit. It, that's what I'm saying. It doesn't take away her agency, but you can't, you, you can't tell me that you've never faced a situation in life where outside forces have made you feel something more amplified than you normally would have. I, I know I have, and I would, I, I would see that as not her losing agency, but having more humanity and having more emotion than she's allowed herself to have. And I think it's, I think it would be an interesting thing to see not not remove responsibility from her per se because this is her natural inclination she's following through on things that she she naturally would have been inclined to do at a smaller scale but i i'd like to see something like you know maybe stoking that ego a little bit if that makes sense i get it i can i can see that like there's a couple things that i'm not entirely sure i don't i don't think you were like 
suggesting that the Lich King is going to gaslight uh, Sylvanas, but definitely trying to push her, pull her in a direction. Or make a deal with her, like, hey, you know those things that you need to propagate your life, going back to the Valkyr? That thing that you don't have anymore, but hey, I happen to have this nifty crown, uh, and I know how to make more of them, so I could work a deal out with you. Oh, man. That... Okay. I do have one last question before we finish. How on a scale of one, I don't want to know much more other than the, the siege of Lordaeron, but on a scale of one to 10 for a person who has always been about like Lordaeron and the, we, we would call North stories. How good is this? Uh, are these events like, you know, one being like, nah, to a 10 being like your mind will be blown. I personally would give the Siege of Lordaeron portion like this week. I'd give it a solid like seven. Okay. Roger? Um, I don't... Probably six, actually. I it, There were a few elements that were decent, but overall it was... I, I did not... Again, there... The thing is, is that because of, and and this is the, the, the problem with when something is not written well, be it a game, a movie, a TV show, or whatever, it takes the audience out of whatever it is that you're trying to create. And so in, in, in so doing for a game, you're then critical, hypercritical of everything else as well. And, and I know that from experience. If a game hooks me in, I'm in and I will get really emotional about different things and, and I'm having fun and I'm allowing myself to enjoy it. But if there's something that it's, it's poorly written where I'm taken out, then that's it. At that point, I'm my analytical part of my brain is more on and I'm trying to figure out what they're trying to do, where it failed and where it could be better. And so by this week now, I'm, I'm not in this. I mean, even the cool parts, notwithstanding the few cool parts. And I would say, for me, the only quote-unquote cool part was that darting, or Darnassus tree burning. That was justifiably a very powerful moment for me. But otherwise, I'm analyzing it all, and I'm saying, oh, this is cool. Which is, again, what allows me to go, oh, look at these graphics. This is awesome. I'm not sunk into the story enough that I'm like, oh, look at what's happening with Anduin and, and Jen and everything confronting uh, uh, Sylvanas. And, and, oh, my God, this is going to be so thrilling. No, I'm like, oh, these are nice graphics. Look at this. <laughs> so <laughs> that's. And that's totally fair. Um, I, I know I'm definitely more of a fanboy for the story. And I will freely admit that because it. But I am, but I am a fanboy for a story when it's good. I understand. I'm just saying, I'm saying I'm, I think I'm more of a fanboy for this story in general. Yeah. Well, you're also to your credit. And I say that honestly, you're far more forgiving as well uh, of these things. So that's, that's fantastic. Anything else before we close out boys, final thoughts, anything else you want to say about what you've had of the buildup of battle for Azeroth, which at the time of this recording will be a little over six days away. No, but I hope to have a report, uh, showcasing my return to this game. The only thing that I would say is that again, like you said early on, people have been very invested and we've seen some interesting 
conversations online because of that. And one of the retorts that I see often is this, this when they try to be witty and say, it's right there in the title, it's World of Warcraft. I feel like saying, yeah, but it's been well over 15 years, especially when you're thinking about the RTS. So the idea of this long on still forcing this strife between factions does feel tired. It does. 24 years, by the way. What's that? 24 years, by the way. Yeah. So it's just one of those things where you go, even in fucking reality, you would have it enough of this shit, like let alone in a game world. So it's just that, especially when you have moments like we literally just had of working together and then forcing this down our throat. Yes, it's called World of Warcraft, but it's been now, as you said, 24 years. It's time to be a little bit more mature and original with the stories you want to present and not just what I consider to be sophomoric bullshit. It's, it's again, it just doesn't fly anymore. And I definitely agree with a lot of those sentiments. And we can see that there's definitely characters in game that that story can definitely move that way should they decide. And I hope that they do. Because some of the most interesting storytelling to me has always been when the factions have come together for the greater threats. Whether it's Old Gods, Titans, the Legion, uh, another resurgence of the Scourge or the Lich King. Uh, Any of that stuff tends to be better as far as storytelling goes to me than this idea of these factions continuing to war. Now, that said, moving into Battle for Azeroth, we will definitely have that war aspect to it, but for the first, I think it's two weeks, there was actually going to be no war fronts, and the two islands are going to be completely separate, so that Alliance will have their ability to go through their world and experience the story on the Alliance side uh, uncontested, as well as the Horde side doing their thing uncontested. And I will say this without giving out any spoilers, both of those stories and my playing through them on the beta were incredibly rich and I look forward to them. With that, I will bid everybody a good evening and thank you guys for joining us. Uh, again, you can find us at For the Lore. Uh, myself, I'm at LoaderZJ on Twitter. Uh, Roger is Zen Buddhist. Marty is Officer Gleason. Vince, who likes to kill everything and isn't here, is at Simodian. Um, and yeah, we look forward to talking to you guys in the future and hopefully. Uh, me and Marty going back and forth about his triumphant or not so triumphant return as Briku. Thank you for listening to For the Lore. If you'd like to hear more from the guys, check out Popcorn Ronin with Roger and Vince, a movie, TV, and anime podcast, as well as Lore Watch, a Blizzard lore podcast co-starring Joe. And if you're into comic books, check out All Comics Considered with Marty and his crew. Lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. You can find him at ManelliJamal.com as well as on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs.